and let's pray. Is that okay? Morning, everyone. Is this sounding right? Are we happy back there? Everyone can hear me? That's wonderful. This is my prayer today. I pray that if you do not know Jesus, that this word will lead you to believe and that your belief to salvation through Jesus Christ, the only way for salvation. I pray today that if your eyes are closed and you cannot see, if your ears are stopped up and you cannot hear, that you will be healed, even as blind Bartimaeus was healed as Jesus left Jericho. Finally, if you are in the army of God, if you are an agent of Jesus, I pray that you will see and hear and make his power and his salvation known, known to those who are in the walls, those who are bound for destruction, that you will welcome them into freedom, the freedom made available to us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Okay, so I was uh, sitting here like many of you, Sunday morning, listening to us, listening to the word, and um, learning all about the kingdom of Israel through the leadership of Joshua. And um, Stan is preaching, and uh, he kind of, he's reading through something, and he says, and Rahab was living in the wall, and I was like, that's all I heard. I didn't hear the rest of his preach, I'm really sorry. Um, I heard Rahab was living in the wall. So I've titled my preach today, The Woman in the Wall. There are so many rich threads throughout the story. Uh, shout out to Ray, did you catch that? Um, there's so many rich threads, and a more experienced preacher might give you something really nice and condensed and really simple, and you're going to go away with three quick takeaways. But I'm not an experienced preacher, and I just really want to thank Stan and Heather for uh, giving me this opportunity. It might be the last time. They asked me to share a lot this weekend, and I was like, if you don't get it right, you're never coming back. Like, this is it. They're going to be like, right, we tried that three times. It didn't work. Don't do that again. Anyway. <laughs> so, um, um, Craig, Craig Robertson's not here today, and I was like, I'm just going to keep an eye on Ro Craig, because once he starts getting twitchy, then you know you're kind of going over your time. So you're just going to be careful with that. Um, but Craig's not here this morning, so I might get a little, I might run away. But I, I really want you to, to encourage you to take from what I'm going to share today what enriches you. The whole Word of God causes us to prosper. There is nothing in the Word of God that will not cause you to prosper. So I pray that you will receive something this morning that will cause you to prosper. Let's get started. We're in the city of Canaan. I've got some pictures. Uh, the most awesome guru has been an amazing support. And uh, there's a really simple picture of Canaan. Um, I don't know if you guys love biblical history. I kind of find it super interesting. I like it. I, I, I like to see what the villages look like. I like to understand that Canaan might have been like a castle in Ireland, okay? So we're not talking about Durban as a city. We're talking about Canaan as a town, a strong town, a big town, a built-up town in that area. So the Israelites were not required to walk around the city of Itequini. They were walking around a fortified city, the city of Canaan, Jericho, in the area of Canaan, Jericho. So uh, Jericho is a walled town. Now, people would live inside the wall and outside the wall. They'd be able to farm outside because did you ever wonder when it says the Israelites ate off the land, whose food that was? 
Like, where did they get the food? How did they just eat off the land? Well, vineyards were planted around them, so they were literally walking around able to pick from the vineyards. And the fruit was good. They had seen this 40 years ago. They were back. Jericho, the fruit was good. So when a threat would come, everybody would retreat back into the walled city. That's where you would go to hide. You would go where you could kind of, and, and then people would have houses within and without. So we're looking at the city of Jericho. In the town of Jericho, we find the descendants of Canaan. Now, Canaan was the son of Noah. So these are God's people. This is this amazing thread, the story of the people of God. These are not people from a foreign place that we just don't know. They're actually part of this bigger story. So just, just keep that in mind as we go through this. They were worshipers of many gods. I'm going to spend some time on this. They were worshipers of many gods. As a culture and as a people, they had begun to associate their practices and their way of life with powers, spirits, however they saw it. So if they were farming, the fertility they needed, the, 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 the plants, the crops they needed, they began to look for a way to express what power and, 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 and something that was obviously making their crops grow. If they were going into war and they wanted victory, they had set up gods and goddesses that they would worship that actually symbolized the victory. So I'm helping my son Emmanuel out with a project, and um, he's supposed to choose a famous trophy and do a one-minute presentation on it. And um, it's 11 p.m. the night before, and um, we are preparing this presentation. And so which, which, which trophy has he chosen? The US Open Championship Trophy. It is the only, one of the few trophies that doesn't have a name. It's a golf trophy. I'm like, you chose a trophy that like, doesn't have a name? Like, anyway, let me not get uh, distracted. So on top of the trophy sits a winged goddess. Her name is Nike. We know that, right? We know what Nike, she stands for victory. She is the goddess of victory, the association of power with a higher god. This is what the kingdom of Jericho was doing. They were worshiping many gods. They had begun to associate many parts of their lives with higher powers. They no longer acknowledged God as Lord. Historians suggest that in Canaan, their lifestyle and their worship of these gods and what they were doing had become so depraved that that place was an unhealthy place. It was a seriously unhealthy place. I'll get there and I'll tell you why. One of the gods that they worshipped, Baal, was married to his mother, as you do. <laughs> he was married to his mother, Asherah, and kept his sister, Anath, as a lover. Yeah, like, I mean, Generations has got nothing on this. <laughs> there was such a subversion of all of the things that God had set into place around fertility, around family, around the way that they were meant to live. It was awful. Whenever the kingdom of God is absent, what is left is awful. Whenever we see an absence of the plans and purposes of God, what we find there is awful. There is nothing good there. 
So it's important that I really just kind of try and, 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 and juxtapose Jericho and its culture and what God has emphatically warned the nation of Israel to keep themselves completely separate from. He says, do not intermarry with them. Do not worship in the places that they worship. When you get there, I want you to completely destroy them. I want no association with them. I want no partnership with them. Israel had a really bad habit of taking the solid truth of God and surrounding it with nonsense. Moses goes up the mountain to pray. They take all their precious things. They take the earrings off. They take their gold off. They melt it down and they form a cow. Why a cow? They'd been sacrificing to God. So let's just take something that we do. We're going to twist it around a little bit. And then suddenly we've got this completely awful thing. Why are you worshiping a cow? Was the power in the cow that died or in the God who accepted the sacrifice? He says to them, do not become a part of that. The New Testament says to us, you are not of this world, although you are in this world, do not associate with it. Why has God said this? He says, it is despicable in my eyes. One of the things that Baal required was that children pass through fire. The definition of that is seen a lot of ways, but from its worst and most depraved, they would kill newborn babies as a sacrifice to the God. You would take the fruit of your womb at their birth, you would kill them and acknowledge Baal as the giver of life and the ultimate power. That is not the way that God had asked the Israelites to consecrate their firstborns. So, just running through some of that, I want you to have a clear picture. Jericho is not a nice place. There are not good things happening in the city. It is completely separate from the plans and the purposes of God. There is false idol worship. A little bit like a place where the, uh, the Israelites had come out of, called Egypt. You remember they came out of Egypt? And when God takes them out of Egypt, He does something mighty and powerful. He demonstrates His power as He draws His people out. He is not random about the demonstration of His power. He's not random at all. Every single time He throws a plague at the Egyptians, He is toppling one of their gods. Every single time there is anything in that society that is set up as a lie against the God of Israel, he knocks it over. Whether it's the frog that they're worshipping as fertility in the river, whether it's the wind which they believe brings them good fortune, whatever it was, as those nets flew in, as those frogs hopped over, as the water turned into blood, the Nile, the very source of life they believed flowed from their gods, God's like, no, 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 no. no. Have a good look and understand that this is not where your salvation comes from. Now, I always thought, of course, God was showing the Israelites that um, their gods were nothing. But you know who, the, the, the Egyptians, but you know who'd been living among them was the Israelites. When the Israelites left Egypt, they knew, okay, all right, the God that we're going to follow out of this place, he alone is God. All of the gods, all of the power that we've witnessed in Egypt, it's got nothing. There is one God, and that's who we're going to follow. So, we've seen this incredible demonstration of power. Our God is a God of power. He uses His Word and things come to being. He speaks, He smites those gods, He leads His people out. He is God who demonstrates power. So, 
They're coming into uh, the area that God is going to give them as their own land. They defeat the kings of Sion and Og in Numbers 21, and they're settling in the land. In the city of Jericho, they've moved into the walls. News is out. There are people coming, and their God does not stand for any other gods. Did you hear what they did on the other side of the river? They did not spare a life. They burnt every high place. No one lives to tell the story. No one comes into Jericho to go, do you know what happened? Actually, they've just heard it all. God is thorough in removing anything that wants to look like it might um, represent him if it's not. He, he smotes every single idol. So if you'd missed the history of Egypt, if you'd missed the fact that these people have crossed the Red Sea, they're on the other side of the river, you're living in Jericho, and you know that they're coming. Joshua 5 verse 1 says, their hearts melted in despair, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. Joshua 4 verse 24 says, so that all of the people of the earth would know without a doubt and acknowledge that the hand of the Lord is almighty and extraordinarily powerful so that they will fear the Lord your God, obey and worship him with profound awe and reverence. If there are a people coming towards us who leave no one alive in the name of their God, I think there would be some profound awe and reverence. So also leading these people, there's a man called Joshua. The Bible says his name is Jeshua with an E, and it means the Lord saves. Jesus is born, and they call him Yeshua, the same name. So not only are these people coming, but they have this leader, and his name is Joshua, the Lord saves. I'm just, I, was, I was just trying to think, you know, what, what does it sound like? What are people saying? What are they calling out to their gods? What are they trying to do while they're living in Jericho? What would you be doing if you were preparing for a horde of people who were coming to take your land in the name of a God who leaves nothing standing before him that is not him? What is your heart like at that point? Are you like making a plan for you and your peeps? Is there a well you're going to hide in? Have you, got a, have you got like a backup plan? You know, on um, Discovery Channel, it kills me. The, um, there's a whole group of people that believe the world will end, and they have tins of beans. Uh, what are they called? Um, they're ready. The doomsday, yeah. They're like completely ready. They have flares. They've got guns. They've got like, they are ready. It's all going to go out. They've got stashes of cash. They've got gold. They're ready. So the doomsday prep people, that's what they would have been doing. Another group of people, there's, there's the panickers, the story spreaders. Did you hear? I hear Joshua is this tall and this big. Maybe he looks a little bit like that oak sitting over there in a cap. <laughs> like, abnormally large beast. Um, but there's stories going around in the city. And then there is the hero of our story today. There is the woman in the wall. Rahab the harlot. I'm like, wow, Lord. I looked, I looked, guys. In the Bible, she is only referred to as Rahab the harlot. At which stage, Lord, does she get to drop the harlot? They don't leave it. Other people have tried to call her an innkeeper. Just, just make it sound a little more proper. <laughs> she was a B&B um, a owner. Uh, <laughs> She was, you know, she was the future of Airbnb. You walked into the city there. She was, no, she is called Rahab the harlot. 
Rahab was the lowest of the low in a city where low was constantly redefined. You are a prostitute in a city where sexual deviance and, and sharing is done in the name of the God you honor, where a place of worship like this would have prostitutes outside with whom you could unify yourself with in worship to your God, Rahab was the lowest of the low in a city where low could only be redefined. There is nothing lovely about her. If you're wondering, like me, where in the story you might find yourself, are you in the Israelite camp waiting for the takeover? Are you Joshua, a man called to lead, a man who knows God, Moses' assistant, ready to go? Is that you? We are Rahab in this story. Nothing to redeem us, living a life of sin, completely taken in by the gods of that time, full of sin, nothing lovely about us. Rahab, the harlot. Rahab has not grown up under the incredible hand of God. She has not, like the nation of Israel, sat under the word and the promises of God. She doesn't know God's precepts. She didn't hear his best friend Moses speak and glow with the glory of God after he came out of his presence. And she does not know that community that God calls his own. She's not a Jewess. She's not in the tribe of the Israelites. That is not her inheritance. She is a harlot. In those ancient cities, perhaps the most important people would live in a gated community. Sorry, in the middle of the city. <laughs> Shots fired! They live in the middle of the city, and that's where the important people would live, and the less important people would live on the outskirts, and Rahab, we're told, probably lived quite close to the entrance of the city, and the spies find their way to them. So, I'm summarizing Joshua chapter 2, where we first meet Rahab. In verse 1, the spies have been sent by Joshua into the city, and they enter Jericho, and they end up in her home. There's something savvy about these two young men. Where do you go to find out the news? How do you find out what's what? Maybe there are also two wonderful young Jewish young men who have stumbled into this place, and they're thinking, wow, what are we going to tell Joshua? We didn't exactly find the general's house. We found a prostitute's place. It's not, I'm not telling this story. We're going to have to find another way to tell him. Anyway, that's where they find themselves. So they've entered the city, and quickly the news spreads. The king is told that two spies, they know they're two, have entered the city and that they went to Rahab's house. So the king sends word and he basically orders Rahab to give up the spies. He knows they've gone there, he knows they were there, and he says, bring the spies out and hand them over to the king. Something's happening with Rahab because she's got something else in mind. She's realized something here. She's heard about a people who've crossed, they haven't crossed the river at this point, but who've come out of Egypt, who are on the other side of the river. She's heard about them, and they are now in her home, representatives of their home. They have a leader with a foreign name. His name is Yeshua, the Lord saves. Maybe she knows that, maybe she doesn't. But when those king's men arrive and things start going down, she makes a quick decision. She says, you know what, they were here. It's a savvy girl. It's a very savvy girl. She says, yes, they were here. The, the spies came, but they left. They are no longer here. We are told that the spies were on the roof of the house. They were on a different floor. The spies were here. They came, but they left. Um, if, you, if you follow them quickly, 
you will catch up with them. They ran into the hills. Remember, they spied out the land, and they were spying out Jericho. She sends the king's men on a wild goose chase, and at this stage, it's treason. She makes a life-changing decision, and she switches alliance. She's hidden the spies beneath some drying flax on the roof of her house. This small piece of information, if you do love Bible history, confirms the season, confirms the place, and confirms the time. All parts of the Word of God are good for you and will prosper you if you read it and you engage with it. She's hidden them. She heads up and she chats to them. And in verse 9, Rahab makes one of four Ds that I'm going to share with you. In verse 9, Rahab makes a declaration. This declaration is powerful. It's incredible. It's scriptural for a woman that has never heard the Word of God. She says, I know the Lord your God is God in heaven and on earth. How could she possibly have known that? How did we possibly know that our salvation was in Jesus Christ before we even met him? We had no idea. But Rahab has understood something suddenly. That is who is in charge. That's who is in control. This is who God is, and these are his people. She starts to recount the stories of the mighty demonstrations of power that she has heard that God has done. She's understood it. She gets it. She's like, whoa, all of that which was happening wasn't just happening because God was showing off. It wasn't just happening randomly. It was happening because it was the order and the power and the glory of God. She knows that this is what is going to happen to her city. Jericho will fall. She's not going down with it. She declares her faith. The Lord your God is God in heaven above and here below. It's a declaration that the nation of Israel speaks. Behold, the Lord our God is one. He alone is God, is what it means. Rahab in that moment declares that she believes. The second thing, the second D that we've got is desire. She says to the spies, swear to me that you will show kindness to me, my family. Will you show me mercy? Will you show me unmerited favor and grace? Sound like something we need? Does it sound like something you ask for when things are going wrong? You can see this is not going to work out well for you. It is definitely something I'm asked for, asking for. Lord, I'm not prepared. I didn't do that. I didn't speak to my son well. I need some grace right now. I need some unmerited kindness. She asks for the impossible. The lowest of the low, a woman living in the wall, asks the spies to show her kindness, to save her. The audacity of that request, I don't think we can understand. The audacity. You're a prostitute living in the town of Jericho, what would qualify you? Rahab believes, and she asks for the kindness. Not only for kindness to her, but to her whole family. There's something in Rahab that shows community mindset. She's an evangelist. She's got to get her mother, her father, her brother, and her sisters into that house when she's given the directions of how that's going to happen. There's something about Rahab. Now that she's kind of said what it is, she says, okay, we've had an agreement. Give me a sign, all right? You're leaving, you're going to go. I'm not telling the king's men that you were here. Give me a sign. I need a display 
of this promise that you've given me. An oath in that time was like a contract. It was irrevocable. People stood on their word. I use words a lot. I like them. I like words. I like to speak. This is wonderful for me. I want to make sure the words that I speak, though, are worth you hearing. I want to make sure that the words that I speak will prosper you and build you up. Our generation loves to talk. We're talking on social media. We're talking to each other on the cell phone. We're saying a lot of stuff. Our words don't count for very much anymore. But with them, it is an oath. It is an oath by which they said they would die should any harm come to Rahab. It is an oath. Their word is bond. Rahab's like, yep, we're good. I'm not an Israelite. You are. But I need to know that there's going to be a sign. If you don't get to me first, how will they know? And they say to her, tie a cord of scarlet from the window. That cord of scarlet will be a sign. We'll know that this is where your household is. The last D is they give her directions. Get everybody into your house, your mother, your father, your brother, your sisters. It says in that sentence, and all they own. There could have been some goats in there. There could have been some jewelry in there. And all they own. The kitchen sink is going to be saved if it's in Rahab's house. And all you own. You know what I love? I start realizing that God consecrates all of it. Everyone is called in. In the New Testament, as Peter and Paul go out to preach, it says, and his whole household was saved. And all they own, all we are, is saved. But there are conditions. Terms and conditions apply. Do not tell anyone what we are doing. Do not give us up to the king. So I present to you this very simple thread. Rahab says, I believe. Save me. Save us. Give us a sign of this intended salvation. Do you know that story? Are you familiar with it? I believe. Save me. Save us. Give us a sign of our salvation. Jesus Christ comes. I believe. Save me. Save us. Give us a sign. You see it? Okay. I was really excited to see it. I thought it was amazing. <laughs> because Colossians 1, verse 26, says that there is a mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but it is now disclosed to the Lord's people. Can you believe that a harlot in Jericho has a prophetic understanding of something that we will only see in Jesus Christ thousands of years later. Her eyes are open. Her ears can hear. They have seen the demonstration of power. I believe. Save me. Give me a display of your salvation. I um, prepared my notes, and I was, I was doing all sorts of things, and I was trying to email them to stand three times yesterday, and like, I was getting the email address wrong, and then I was still changing things this morning. And um, I, was, I, was, I, I just had this, this, that picture of Rahab's salvation in the wall as the Israelites are coming towards Jericho, and I, I know that God wanted to show us something. And... Um, I, my dad is my, one of my best researchers, whether it's work, whether it's anything. I'm like, Dad, I got to know, I, I need to find out this thing. Is there anything you've heard about Rahab that you think might enrich us, might add to us? 
So he sent me about, I mean, my dad. Uh, when we did the chat with um, Glenda, my dad sent me 163 pages, right? <laughs> On transformation in the church. I was like, not that much, not that much. <laughs> But he sent me this incredible preach. And I'm gonna, I just want to acknowledge that that's, that's, that's where this, this picture comes from. But that this picture of salvation, this picture of Rahab being saved, the manner in which she is believing God, the reason that she is our hero is that we are saved by faith. You see that? It's not who she is. She's called Rahab the harlot. What were you called before you were saved? Do you remember? What were you called before you were saved? Thank goodness we don't have to say it out loud. I was like, are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? No, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> We've been called out of so much. We've been walking in the richness of his inheritance that we no longer kind of see that. So I'm going to be sharing again tonight, and I think I'm going to get into the end of the story a little bit more tonight, so you can come through tonight and listen to that. How's that for, like, first-timers? So come back and you get the rest of it. <laughs> But what happens next is where we find ourselves to now, is the waiting. We are told it took the spies three days to hide after they were lowered out the window, three days to then go back and make their way back to Jericho, uh, to the Israelite camp. Uh, they ford the river because, remember, the Israelites are still on this side of the Jericho. They haven't crossed the Jericho yet. Chapter 3 and chapter 4, another three days to cross the Jordan um, for Israel to now cross across the Jordan on dry land, right? We don't know how long that took. People try to work out if it was two and a half million rand, two and a half million people walking 25 across, how many days it would have taken them to get across the river, we have no idea. And then Joshua circumcises all of the men. It says 40,000 men of the tribes of Manasseh and um, who were going to stay on the other side of Jericho, that's where their inheritance was. 40,000 fighting men were there and the rest of the nation of Israel. All of the men are circumcised. <laughs> They've got a heel from the circumcision. Where is Rahab? I mean, you've told me to stay in my house and tie a scarlet cord. I don't know when you're coming back. They have not shared. In fact, they don't even have the strategy at that point. You don't know how it's going to unfold. We know how the story ends. It's so cool. I mean, this preach really shouldn't take this long. We know how the story ends. We know the story, right? We know what's happened. But for Rahab, she's waiting. She's waiting. After they're circumcised, after they've healed, they have Passover! Seven days of feasting, of bread, of commemorating their own salvation, of the blood on the doors that signified that God would pass them over. So that picture in that preach is that in Rahab's story, we watch salvation insert itself into her home. We watch the holiness and the blood of Jesus Christ step into Rahab's situation so that when the rest of that city goes down, it doesn't happen in Rahab's home. It is the only place left standing when the blood of Christ is within, when everything else goes down, 
after our bodies decay, after everything is said and done, you will find a cord of scarlet in our lives. That is what Father God is going to find. That is what is going to keep us standing. That is what we find with the woman in the wall. Salvation is standing with her. I hope that encourages you. Salvation is standing with you. So today, I think I'm running out of time, and I'm going to stop there. I'm going to talk a little bit about where Rahab finds herself. In Hebrews 11, we are told to emulate Rahab. She is a hero of the faith. Do you have heroes in the Bible? Or are you like my family and I? We dig Avengers. Like, we're serious Avengers fans. It just keeps getting better. Captain Marvel. Okay, all right, I'll stop. I mean, don't give me that look. Hey, we love Avengers. And we love to see heroes and heroines save the world and do all these incredible things. But in Rahab, I believe, save me. Give me a display of your salvation. The display of his salvation is the blood of Jesus Christ in you. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you do not know his salvation, ask him. Believe in the demonstration of works that he has shown. In the word of God, it is full. Over and over and over again, he has shown us that he is mighty to save. Ask him for a sign. He is so willing to speak to us. He's willing to come to us where we are and to bring his salvation to where we are. Rahab isn't going anywhere. We watch as she gets integrated into the nation of Israel later, but she's not going anywhere. God is coming into her circumstances and saving her. Later on, Jesus walks out of Jericho, and there's a blind man outside the city gates, and he cries out, Lord, open my eyes. I want to see for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, people completely missed it. Salvation wasn't just going to be for the nation of Israel. We need to see that salvation is for everyone. There are so many people in the wall in the city of Durban. Salvation is theirs. We want that salvation going out to them. We want to see the life of Christ come into their situations and the blood of God set them free. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's me.